Hello, and welcome to the 13th and final episode of the first season of The Sulfuric Secrets. The Sulfuric Secrets tells a fictional story over hundreds of years, using real-life events, people, and places. It's all come to this. Today we tie up all the loose threads, as various characters, events, and groups intersect and come to their inevitable point of meeting. It goes without saying, but if you haven't listened to the full Sulfuric Secret series yet, it's highly recommended that you do. This episode will be going ahead assuming that you are fully aware of all of the twists and turns throughout the series. If this is your introduction to the Sulfuric Secrets, first allow me to say welcome. The same recommendation applies, but if you're just conducting a taste test before you give the other episodes in the series a go, then I'll say episodes 5, 6, and 9 are essential to understanding the plot. To all of you, my dedicated fans, casual viewers, and everyone in between, I want to thank you so sincerely. You've made all this hard work worth it. Episode 13 of The Sulfuric Secrets is called Cicada. Please be advised that this episode contains mature content that might not be appropriate for all audiences. In 2012, an image with a mysterious message was posted to the website 4chan. It stated, Hello, we are looking for highly intelligent individuals. To find them, we have devised a test. There is a message hidden in the image. Find it and it will lead you on the road to finding us. We look forward to meeting the few who will make it all the way through. Good luck. It was dubbed Cicada 3301 due to the anonymous group's use of the insect's image and signature. So began a path most baffling, mysterious, multifaceted, and complex. Like alchemists, online detectives mixed this image and message with all the combinations of digital tools that they could think of. Until the chance encounter of entering the photo into a text extractor program produced a wall of text. Bingo. Inside this slurry of random letters and numbers were the words Tiberius Claudius Caesar. The clue that meant that this random alphanumeric code was in fact a Caesar cipher. Using the Caesar cipher produced a web image of a duck. A babushka doll series of clues unveiled a picture of the Holy Grail and then an image of the word welcome. The clues were seemingly endless and increasingly more obscure and ingenious. But the lid was blown open when truth seekers eventually unlocked a phone number to contact and received the following message.
very good. You have done well. There are three prime numbers associated with the original final.jpg image. 3301 is one of them. You will have to find the other two. Multiply all three of these numbers together and add a dot com on the end to find the next step. Good luck. Goodbye. This wasn't the end. This was barely the beginning. And this project wasn't a couple of online hobbyists. It was global. The clue was geographic coordinates in every single continent, leading to physical posters. On the posters were a QR code and a screen print of a cicada. And even if the posters got ripped down, the shadowy secret members of Cicada 3301 had the physical and human resources to replace them immediately, all in service for a monumental task. But what exactly was that task? What possible reason was there to combine the need for complex knowledge of cryptography, steganography, IT, code-breaking, but also medieval literature and cyberpunk fiction. The rabbit hole seemed to be infinite, and by 2014, Cicada 3301 had broken mainstream attention. Even the most digitally illiterate news outlets now knew about the challenge, as this mystery seemed to capture people's imaginations, fears, desires, and nightmares. And in ways that even the horrific activities of Red Rooms on the dark web and the weirdness of number stations couldn't. No motivation was provided, which induced an additional swarm of speculation from traditional media outlets. Theories positing anything from recruitment at Google or national intelligence agencies, or even a global hacktivist group. The latter seemed likely, that is, until Cicada 3301 released the Libra Primus in 2016. Even before the Libra Primus's release, the Family Research Council, a conservative Christian charity and lobbying group, was on the offensive and the spearhead of this vociferous literary assault was one of their researchers, Dr. Tim Daly. Daly's 2015 book, The Paranormal Conspiracy, outright accused Cicada 3301 of recruitment for a religious cult. Under the guise of a hacktivist collective, he explicitly named connections to Alistair Crowley and Helena Blavatsky, and ascribed left-hand path occult doctrines to their codes, which he characterized as sex magic, black magic, Satanism, Luciferianism, and all things evil. Of course, to a devout conservative Christian, anything religious in nature not from the Bible would seem like heresy. Then again, for the majority of Christians who haven't actually read the Bible, the actual words inside it would also read as heresy. Despite drawing a 
nonsense conclusion. Dr. Daly was onto something. The 52-page Liber Primus book was written in the Norse occult symbology of runes. Of the only two pages that have been translated to this day, the words holy, cabal, ethereal, and dogma regularly appear. In addition to Zen Buddhist koans and philosophy, and what seem to be references to sacred geometry and chaos theory, it seemed that this new book that Cicada 3301 had released was less like their previous codes, and more of a Bible. Dr. Daly's comparison to Alistair Crowley might have also been relevant. Crowley's 1904 magnum opus, The Book of the Law, was, by his insistence, the transcription of the words of a god-like entity and functioned as a Bible that ushered in the cultural revolution and personal liberation of the 1960s. And now, 112 years after the publishing of the Book of the Law, the Liber Primus's mixed religious themes, cultures and philosophies might also be a message from a god-like entity. But there were still plenty of other mysteries still surrounding Cicada 3301 and its true goals. Wei, Ollie, Sarah and Ali had all used Rama's bots. Out of all the members of the hacker's circle, Rama was the best at programming an army of them. Every member of the hacker's circle had a speciality that filled the gaps of the others and created a perfect whole. But ever since Ollie's death, the hacker's circle hadn't been in contact. Ancient mystery schools had dreamed of a future of magic realism, where everyday life bended to the will of man. How sadly right they were in their dreams. The reality of the 2040s was the hourly interruption of advertisements over your retinas and loud, clear, verbal confirmation of messages that were sent straight to your temporal lobe. Parents would always choose to get the implant at birth. It wasn't something that was questioned anymore. Unless you wanted to ensure your kid failed. Today, Rama just could not be bothered making a bot for a new recapture form. So, she did the unthinkable and completed it herself. Hearing the audio file, she knew something was different. A chalky undertaste, so to speak. There was another audio file, hidden underneath it. That familiar mixture of excitement, dread, fear and revulsion began to bubble inside her stomach. The original curious impulse 
that had led her to join the hacker's circle. Many names and many members had passed through over time. None knew who had originally started it, but drawing the history back to its origins, the story was always the same. They'd been contacted by a mysterious figure who had imparted on them a broad religious doctrine and a goal. The odd thing, though, was that it wasn't just online. Sometimes they were reached in their dreams. The Cicada recruitment drive in the 2010s was only one iteration of something that went back far, far further. The wave of excitement and euphoria from the early days came back to Rama. She couldn't resist. It took her less than a day to create an audio program that could completely separate the two clips. It was definitely something, but only a fraction of a noise. If she hadn't gotten that same feeling of curious intrigue, Rama would have given up instantly. But she didn't. She couldn't. And within a week, she had an army of bots with the original audio deciphering program built in, scraping millions of audio files across the internet. And her gut instinct was right. Together, all the little drops formed a lake, and it said... It's Ali. It's time again. Meet me at the virtual net gate to the Mariana's web. Ali had been in this situation before and had no reason to worry. Ali had just placed his second hamburger on the pile of fast food on the desk next to a still unsigned confession. The man in the odd black uniform was feeling a mix of dread and relief. None of his threats or promises had worked, but that would change in a few minutes. A thin man in a military uniform walked into the small, all-white interrogation room. He silently nodded at the man in the black uniform, gesturing for him to exit, which he promptly did. The thin man didn't say anything. He just stood there with his back turned to Ali, fiddling with something. Ali wasn't leaning back in his seat anymore. There was something different now. As the thin man approached, Ali could see that there was something very wrong with him physically, including his skin. What must have once been pale was now yellowish, almost green. He was holding a needle in his hand and putting a small clear vial of liquid away in his breast pocket with his other hand. He walked towards Ali and placed the needle on the table. You gonna use that on me? Ali asked. He grinned as he continued to pace the room, letting Ali stare at the needle in front of him ominously standing out from the fast food waste. The man explained 
that he wouldn't need to use it. The food Ali had eaten had a psychoactive compound inside it that would last for about the next three hours and reduce his perception of time to about one one one-thousandth of its regular pace. If he wanted to, he could kill himself with that needle right now. But, considering how much he ate, he better be quick about it. Assuming that they were real police, they had the right to hold Ali for another nine hours. Or, close to two years from Ali's perspective. Who knows what else Ali might accidentally ingest during that time. The thin man stopped and paused to make sure he was looking Ali directly in the eye when he talked now. That is, assuming we're real police. Ali went for the needle with a sense of urgency, but his body had already betrayed him. The loss of motor skills moved like a wave, from his fingers to his limbs to his whole body, until he was just a drooling mess. Back in 1951, Madame Lumen was one of the few people left who was still close to Jack Parsons. It had been a hard couple of years for Parsons. His spiritual mentor, Alistair Crowley, had recently died. His house in Pasadena's Millionaire's Row was now unaffordable. His military security clearance was revoked by the FBI investigation and Parsons went from rocket scientist to car mechanic and hospital orderly. His first wife, Betty Northrup, had left with L. Ron Hubbard and $17,000 of his cash just a few years before. His second wife, Marjorie Cameron, who he believed he had summoned through the Babylon working ritual, had left him to start a commune in Mexico. And now, in 1951, the final straw was when he looked at Alron Hubbard, the man he once called a great friend, a staunch companion and comrade, who was now a national sensation after the release of his book, Dianetics. Parsons saw Hubbard's system, which appropriated what little parts he had learned of Thelema, and mixed it with Gnosticism and Hypnosis, now being turned into a money-making system that charged $500 per auditing session, the equivalent of $5,000 in 2021. The physical Church of Thelema that Parsons had built in America was on the verge of crumbling and withering away. And in this, Madame Lumen saw an opportunity for both of them their final legacy. The first Babylon working ritual had produced Marjorie Cameron, the Scarlet Woman. But Jack was young back then, and under the influence of L. Ron Hubbard. 
This time, it would be different. Madame Lumen offered one final attempt of Babylon working with her as the new Scarlet Woman. He could finally create a perfect spiritual homunculus that would propagate his ideals of Thelema. What Madame Lumen hadn't told Jack, but what he had already figured out, was that she had an ulterior motive in this proposition. As much as Parsons, Lumen, Cameron, and others had shared themselves openly and grown close in the Libertarian Church of Free Love, there was another reason. Madame Lumen had traveled all the way from New York to Los Angeles. She was in love with Mudbelt Maggie. And so their homunculus was created in one final, brilliant sex magic ritual. But the father and the mother had imbued different goals into this entity that had been produced from the ether from their essence. For the former, it was the dawning of the new eon of liberty for humanity. For the latter, it was to find her one true love, 